This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here is your host, Carl Valeri. Welcome to episode 100 of the podcast where we take you inside the many careers in aviation. You know, when we started this podcast, our intention was to help you understand the many aerospace careers and motivate you to move forward in your aviation career. Since then, we've had added many resources, including a scholarships guide, career coaching, and interview preparation software. You know, I really encourage you to find out more about these services at aviationcareerspodcast.com. Well, today we get back to our grassroots, dating back to episode one, when we interviewed an international airline pilot and introduced you to his world. On episode 100, we introduce you to another aspect of aviation, agricultural aviation, or as many like to say, crop dusting. And uh, to help us understand the challenges and rewards of agricultural flying is Leif Isaacson, an agricultural pilot and just a, a super nice guy to be here today. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thank you. And now you are—you've actually been flying as a quote-unquote ag pilot for for some years. How long have you been doing this? I started uh, my crop dusting uh, career in 1974, so about 41 years. Oh wow! So you're no stranger to this, and things have definitely changed over time. And you know, most of us—and and I've been around the airports. I've uh, used to live in College Station, Texas, and love to watch the airplanes take off and land. And uh, but but I don't know if I could really define agricultural flying. So maybe you could help me out with a definition of what is agricultural flying. Well, agricultural flying, or like you said earlier, uh, uh, crop dusting. Uh, it's basically low-level application of uh, farm protection products that uh, you know we help control the insects or diseases in the in the plants that we treat. And it's started out. Uh, very early on in in Jenny aircraft back uh, in the early 1900s and then it's just progressively uh, moved forward and we've gone from you know uh, biplanes uh, like in the Jenny type through the Stearmans through now our aircraft are are very specific uh, they're they're built for one purpose one task and that is agricultural aviation um, it's some say it's kind of one of the last ways of, of flying uh, with a lot of freedom. We, uh, like I said, it's all done at low level. And uh, we basically, it's a single cockpit airplane. Um, and uh, we just, we just are, are, they call us the low and slow guys. Well, it sounds like a lot of fun. And I could, I could see how you'd really enjoy that freedom. Yeah, I... Uh, I started flying uh, when I was uh, 14 and uh, finished up my, uh, you know, uh, pilot's license, my private pilot, went and got my commercial. And uh, like a lot of people in this in this industry, you know, we just have a, a true love for, for aviation uh, and flying in general. And, you know, it's kind of one of those jobs. It, it It's very unique. It's very specialized. But for the 41 years that I've been doing this, I've absolutely loved my career. I love what I do. We're doing a good service for uh, the farm, farming and actually people world over because we, we help produce enough food to feed all those people. So it's a noble, it's a noble uh, profession as well as an exciting one. It truly is a noble profession, and, and the excitement is there. You're doing something great for the community and for the world. Uh, but, you know, take us into the, the ag flying and, and why we do this. For instance, uh, why couldn't we just use ground-based equipment to do the same thing that you're doing? Well, we all uh, – we have ground operators or ground rigs, uh, as we call them, uh, that, that do some of the types of applications that uh, – that we do, but we also share uh, uh, other things that that uh, no other application method, uh, or there's no other application method that does it quite like uh, agricultural aviation. For instance, um, a lot of the uh, rice, because they flood the, the fields with water, uh, tremendous amount of the rice is sown by air because it's the only way to do that particular job. We do a lot of... Um, 
uh, aerial application on uh, other other avenues such as uh, forest where a ground rig would not be practical. We put out fertilizer, dry dry fertilizer, or liquid fertilizer. Uh, there's just a tremendous amount of of, of things that, that the airplanes can do that that uh, ground based operations cannot do and uh, you know we share we share some of those jobs we have some common jobs uh, between the two types of uh, application but aviation is much faster uh, we can do you know four to five times the amount of acres in a day that a uh, ground rig because of our speed and we can do that in conditions when a ground operator, for instance, if it's wet, they can't drive on the crop, it's muddy or whatever, airplanes are called in. Some of the busiest times that we have are during uh, periods of, of high moisture because the ground-based operators cannot do that type of work, and uh, we're well-suited for that. Well, that that's interesting because, you know, a lot of us think that, you know, with all this new technology, we don't really need to do much of the aerial spraying. But I personally, from everything that I've read, and you can back me up on this, I actually think it's a growing business in that there's there's more avenues. Because, first of all, you know, the population isn't shrinking. It's getting bigger. Uh, so you're going to need to feed more people. So there's one reason. Uh, but also, it seems that the, the, the ability to... Uh, have crops that are more quote unquote efficient that you can grow and have more yield has become more important and and you play a vital role in that. Uh, yes, we are. We're actually an expanding uh, business. Uh, there's a lot of things that uh, that factor into that. Uh, one being that, like you mentioned earlier, uh, the population. Well, currently, right now, there's about 7.2 billion people on this planet. And by 2050, it's forecast to be over 9 billion. Uh, and we're going to have to feed those people on uh, less water, less resources, and, and that, that's going to take uh, farming to a, to a new efficiency level that is, that's not even, it's not even, we're not even capable of that at this point. And, and we're an evolving business, whereas we used to do a lot of um, uh, insecticide work now a, a big portion of our work is now fungicides to protect these plants from uh diseases funguses that uh are are brought in i mean they they move throughout the world fairly fairly rapidly now and we have uh funguses and diseases that that didn't exist uh 10 years ago in for instance the united states because of the the you know, how how quickly things move through the world as far as you know uh, vegetables being shipped from other countries uh people traveling from one country to the next uh it basically is somewhat i guess job security for us as 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 people move through the country and 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 bring uh weeds and pests and stuff like that to our to our farmland it it gives us a new avenue, and they're constantly developing new products to to uh, control these these diseases. So that that's fascinating. I mean, I never thought about that. You know, you're 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 quickly mitigating that threat of of some say invasive fungus, et cetera, or whatever, or some of the species, et cetera. Uh, so that's actually a, a role I didn't I didn't realize in in agricultural flying. Um, but you know, going back to this as far as a career now, so you know, it sounds really neat what you do, uh, and it's an amazing uh, job, but it's also you know an amazing mission. If someone's looking at this as a career, I mean, there's you know, you're, you're thinking about it right now. Gosh, you know, why would I do this? You know, there's, are there, there going to be jobs? We talked about the growth uh, in, in actually the uh, population and the fact now that I didn't realize about these, you know, other fungicides coming in, et cetera. Uh, but is there, are you going to, are people going to be able to make a living as, as an agricultural pilot, I think in the next, uh, you know, 20, 30, 40 years? Oh yeah. The, what's, what's happening in, in aviation right now, it's kind of, uh, widespread in aviation, but even more so in the agricultural community. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, we as a, as a national group, 
the average ag pilot age right now is between 53 and 55 years old. So what used to be considered a young man's occupation is actually those young men have now, uh, for lack of a better term, become an old man. And with with a population of 53 to 55 years old, the, the general median for that um, – at some point in time within the next 10 years, there's going to be a, a huge amount of our industry that needs to uh, or that will be retiring and the, the baby boomers, so to speak. And as that happens, uh, we're going to need people to replace us. So as you said, we're a growing industry, not a, not a declining industry. Uh, and so we need to bring young pilots uh, into our into our industry so that there's not a huge vacuum like such happened a few years ago with the airline industry uh, and we're I'm talking to you right now from the uh, convention center here in Savannah and we're having a conference uh, here and we also have programs for young pilots or pilots, not necessarily young pilots, but pilots wanting to get into this industry. And uh, we have mentorship programs and uh, uh, we have what we call the Compass Rose, which is a, a mentoring program that senior pilots come in and talk to the younger pilots about actually how to get in uh, to this industry. Uh, there's, there's a number of ways of getting in this industry. Uh, and I don't know that one's more efficient than the other, but uh, there's there's several schools of thought of, of how you get in the industry. You know, it's interesting you said that because uh, I've, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, I've always envisioned ag pilots that are just like farmers in that you, you it's generational. You know, if you're an ag pilot, your son's going to be an ag pilot or daughter, and then it's going to keep going on generationally. Uh, are, are we seeing people now come outside uh, and, and now join this industry? Because it, it seems like a really closed group to me. Well, it's it's not really a closed group. We have a number of people in our industry that are obviously, you know, uh, business handed down from one generation to the other. We've got, you know, th third generation ag pilots or operators, um, and and that's that's actually not the most common anymore. I mean, those. Uh, that scenario is great, I guess. If you if you were raised in a crop dusting business, you would tend to to uh, uh, stay in that business. For instance, you know, my father was a mortician. Uh, uh, that's not something that uh, I wanted to continue in, in the family line, and I ended up being uh, being an ag pilot. So uh, th there are a lot of people coming uh, looking for um, occupations in in aviation, and we're getting a lot of them from guys that. That, uh, for instance, get into the uh, airlines and they start out, you know, with the smaller regional airlines and then they move to the bigs, so to speak. Um, we're getting a lot of guys in that that coming out with their commercial license and they're looking to do something a little different, maybe uh, make a little bit more money than than what a uh, uh, an airline pilot would start out as, and maybe they're looking for a little bit more freedom. You don't necessarily have to have an agricultural background. You don't have to be so-called a farm boy, uh, but this is a uh, very intensive line of work. And if you get into this, it is um, you're going to be working uh, long hours and uh, and expected because we're seasonal. And most all aerial applicators are paid by uh, commission on the amount of ground that they fly. Not all, but most. Uh, it it it's it's demanding on the pilots, and you have to be uh, willing to put out the effort that it takes to do those long hours. But you also have to be willing to put out the effort to get the seat. And there's there's a number of ways to do that. So once they make this effort, you know there's there's this reward, which is a, a pretty good salary. You, you mentioned there that the, you know, the regional airlines aren't making quite as much, but in the beginning as, a, as an agricultural pilot, say a trainee, you're not going to make too much, but once you have some skills, uh, you can make, and, and the numbers that I've seen thrown out there in the sixties up to even a hundred thousand dollars. Is that correct? Um, yeah. Or, or more, uh, mm -hmm. depending on, you know, uh, pilots that work, uh, in, in, for instance, well, I'll give you an example in California where they have a multitude of crops. It's probably commonly known as the breadbasket of the United States being uh, California because they can grow about everything in that part of the state when they have 
unfortunately, when they have the water that, that, that can grow those crops. But for somebody that works 11 months out of the year, it's not uncommon for an ag pilot to make upwards of, of close to $200,000 a year. Now, that's that's somewhat rare, and that's a very senior pilot uh, making those. But I would say a very common wage would be in the sixty to you know one hundred and twenty thousand dollar range. That's that's a very, very much a, a viable wage for for you know that for being an ag pilot. Depending on how long your season is, where you're at. I mean, if you're up north uh, and, and your season's growing, season's fairly short, you're going to probably have a, a, lim- a more limited income than you would if you were down in, a, in an area that has, uh, you know, a, a 10, 11 month growing season. But uh, you know, starting out. Uh, a pilot generally doesn't really become productive uh, for an operator that he's working for for a couple three years because it takes there's a lot of training involved uh, you know crop identification uh, there's just so many things involved it just takes a number of years to get your feet wet and that's that's not unlike any other business just like airlines or whatever uh you know become a senior instructor or whatever you're gonna you're gonna have to sit in the seat uh for some time to to uh, get those hours and the qualifications because in our industry liability is a big issue and insurance is also uh because of that uh we have to make sure that our pilots are well qualified to go do the types of work that we do so that uh we don't have issues with insurance so it's it's a time generally two to three years before a pilot's probably gonna start returning his investment to the operator well that's not really that long if you think of it here you're looking at and i guess i use the word closed group and i probably shouldn't use that term it's just it's something that you need to be educated in 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 this whole agricultural flying world and and you don't it's tough to know where to start but there's organizations that'll help you but once you have that experience now you're in there you have the knowledge you can move forward and make this uh the real good salaries i what i really would be interested in though is i know the future farmers of america and all these other organizations what would help somebody as any person young person yes but also someone who's changing jobs is there any organizations where they can get involved with to learn all these things that you're telling them well the the foremost uh uh organization would be the uh NAAA or the National Agricultural Aviation Association because we cater to to our own to uh, getting people started, uh, bringing pilots up, uh, having the the connections so to speak in the industry to help you to to move forward. Uh, you know, we have you know city people, we have airline people, we have military people that that are looking to get into this industry. Um, Absolutely, farming, uh, like Future Farmers of America, uh, having somebody that has an ag background it is very important. But when I started there, I was I did not have an agricultural background by by any degree. Um, I just happened to be a kid, grew up walking on the ditch bank, watch the watch the aerial applicators work, and so that that spurred me on. But but. An agricultural background is important. Um, one of the big things uh, that uh, is important in getting into this industry from the flying aspect is uh, tailwheel time or tail dragger time. Uh, it is uh, something that the insurance companies are looking at. Uh, an aircraft that flies with a tailwheel uh, is a little different to handle, and almost all agricultural aircraft are tailwheel aircraft for maneuverability and, and for other reasons. So. Um, you know, having having tailwheel time, having some agricultural background is all helpful, but it's it's not something that you can't overcome if you just if you go straight to a flight school. And we do have uh, agricultural flight schools. There's a number of them in the country that uh, that will give you your basics in you know how to work a field, how to identify objects, uh, you know how to understand power lines and obstacles and how to maneuver around them because you're you're within just a few feet of the treetops or within you know a few feet of the power line so there are schools that teach that uh it is it all those schools are basically basic they give you the the basic 
foot legwork, you know, or the, or the understanding of what goes on. And then from there, you need a good mentor that will um, take and, and take you under his wing, so to speak, and, uh, you know, nurture you because that's, that's critical in this industry is to take somebody and bring them up slowly. And as sometimes pilots, because of, I guess, their personality types, most pilot, a lot of pilots are type A personality. Sometimes you have to hold them back a little bit because uh, they want, they want to get ahead of themselves. And that's why you need a good mentor. That, that's understandable. And, and through the National Agricultural Aviation Association, which, by the way, we'll have links at aviationcareerspodcast.com to that website and all the other resources. By the way, you have, it's an incredible website. Uh, if, even if you're not interested in agricultural aviation as a career, there is some really good information out there. If you're just curious about what it is you folks do, you can learn so much there. But I think getting that mentor is really important in, in any career. I think it's really important, but especially in something so specific and, and I think even technical. I mean, to me, uh, I've, I sat there and watched some of these folks working out on the ramp and I'm thinking, gosh, you know, there's so much responsibility that you have, especially, uh, you know, there's chemicals involved. And, you know, how much do you apply and how do you figure out how much to put in your aircraft? And and how do you figure out where you need to, to drop that? And it's, it's like there's all these things going on. So it's really the point I'm trying to make. It is a challenge, is it not? Yeah, it absolutely is. And, um, you know, you, it's like anything else. You take baby steps at first. Uh, for instance, I'll, I will probably I'll give you a basic scenario of, of somebody that's that uh, would maybe go to an ag operation. Uh, makes no difference at this point, but we'll, but but we'll talk about uh, you know whether they came from an ag school or or whether they came uh, as just somebody coming to your door and saying, "Look, I want to I want to get into the ag business." Uh, most operators will start um, a young apprentice out on the ground, and they will mix and load the products. They will help fuel the airplanes, that type of thing. And the reason that's done is because as an operator, uh, such as myself, uh, or, or any other operator f- for that matter, um, you want to understand the individual's personality, how he reacts to stress, how he reacts to the workload and that kind of thing. Because a lot of how they respond on the ground is how they're going to respond in the air. So it's important for us to, to, to get on a real personal level with uh, a, a new apprentice and understand how they think and their thought processes so that you can uh, understand how they may think you know, once they're in the cockpit of an airplane, and that's that's difficult when you're a when you're a not so much when you're a young a young man or woman that that wants to get into this. Um, you know, it's easy to start out, and you know, if if you're in your twenties or whatever, uh, get get going and work on the ground for a, a season or two till you get some experience, and then be moved up into an airplane. For somebody that's uh, let's say a the airline pilot that's 40 years old and has uh, children and things like that, it's pretty tough sometimes to to uh, go back and work on the ground for, you know, marginal amounts of, of money and, and to survive to uh, get into an ag seat. But it's, I guess, what you might call just paying your dues. So there's, there's just things that you're going to have to do um, and to, to get to that to that seat. But once, you know, they've, they've gotten there, um, it's, it's, it is a very, very rewarding career. But uh, as you mentioned earlier, you know, there's a lot of things going on inside that cockpit. Uh, when I started uh, flying back in, you know, 1974 in the ag world, I trained in Stearman's and uh, you had a piece of plexiglass in the front of the cockpit and uh, it kept your head down and you had an airspeed indicator and a few other rudimentary instruments and a, uh, 
a boom pressure gauge and an altimeter and away you went and you used human flaggers to mark where you were at in the field well nowadays we've progressed to the point where we have very sophisticated moving map gps's uh we have up to three and four computers on board the aircraft plus the light bar which is what directs us that's sitting out on the nose of the aircraft um that a series of lights tells us whether we need to go right left or whatever which is all well and good but when you're doing that three feet off the ground at at 130, 40 miles an hour, um, things happen fairly quickly. So uh, the pilot workload now, especially with all the other liabilities and the chemicals that we deal with, the workload on the pilot now is is tremendously greater than what it was 40 years ago. It's, it's a much more demanding business. And the initial uh, input costs of before our, you know when I started out I was flying airplanes that were you know twenty five thirty thousand uh, dollars now some of these larger egg aircraft are up in a million and a half dollar range and uh, you can't afford to just put anybody you have to take the time to train them because the the cost of, of doing business is such uh, such a higher percentage of, of what you do and it's uh, uh, it's just more demanding. You know, it's interesting. That it, I was listening to you, and, and it's amazing how much going on in the cockpit. It, it, almost as if you're you're flying a fighter jet or something, you know, because you have all these different things happening at the same time. You know, somebody who's looking for that type of excitement, they could they could actually look here to egg flying. I think. Uh, absolutely. Um, you know, like I said, it's it's. Uh, um, it's a very demanding, I, you know, people always say, oh, you're, you know, you're crazy, you're dangerous, you know, it's dangerous occupation. I, I will say that, that my occupation is not without risk, but like aviation in general and any flight instructor will tell you, um, the risk of aviation or flying has to do with, you know, what you're willing to do. If you're willing to, to do things to alleviate the risk, um, you're fairly safe. And if you make poor decisions for yourself or lack of planning then the risk goes up and it's the same in our industry i mean people look at us and you know you're turning uh, you pull up over a power line or occasionally go under them and uh, turn back around and and do that you know hundreds of times a day you know a few feet off the ground you know people think we're insane it's it's <laughs> it's it's no different than i always tell people it's like driving on a on a highway a two lane highway you've got a center line in the road and you know you're flying or, or essentially driving within six feet of an oncoming car with a closing rate of let's say 140 miles an hour uh the one thing we do the same thing we fly at those kind of tolerances but at least we know who's in the cockpit and what we're doing you don't know who's coming at you opposite um at, at those kind of speeds so it's it's relative you get to you you begin to deal with the i won't say risk but you know the close proximity to the ground and it is not uh it is not a reckless operation it is a very precise operation and most people sometimes from the road or or somebody that's not familiar with our industry have no idea how calculated the things that we do in the cockpit are and the precision is actually something that I would think would be very appealing to somebody uh, to, because that's the challenge is the precision. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, the preciseness, you know, every every facet of aviation or, or you know, they're going to tell you that, you know, they're more precise than the next guy down the road or whatever. Um, you know, I've always felt like uh, being a flight instructor is extremely important to um, – ag aviation and, and the reason i say that is because a student will teach you more in one hour about keeping yourself alive and keeping him out huh. of trouble than than anything that that we do uh you know we're in control of our situation uh through training and whatever and there's only one of us in the cockpit uh you know when you're trying to train somebody uh you know you have two people in there thinking with with two separate brains and all that kind of stuff. So a lot of the risk I would consider, uh, you know, teaching somebody to fly probably more risky than, than, than what I do for a living. Um, but the preciseness of it, that's just, you know, there's very few, there's probably uh, roughly 3000 or so of us within the United States. And we're somewhat a very elite group of, of aviators because of what we do and why we do it. Um, 
and yeah, I guess there's a there's a pretty good sense of accomplishment that that uh, when you become a qualified ag pilot, you, you know you're you're pretty proud of that. Yeah, I can imagine it's uh, well. There's a ba- bit of a mystique that goes along with being a you know a tail dragger pilot, and then of course an ag pilot, and uh, you know doing being a crop duster. I've I've always held them you know and been in awe of them and watching them actually fly those you know those missions that you do that low to the ground with the precision, but also. Uh, with having the the great awareness of what's going on around you, you know, you really do have this incredible awareness of all that's fly, that's going on in, in your world, which I think is would would translate to so many other jobs. Uh, and uh, one thing that that I think that I would love to do someday is get in an ag, ag plane with somebody and just watch that happen because it's just absolutely phenomenal. I, I would assume that doing some type of aerobatic training would also help prior to you getting into ag flying. Uh, yes, uh, Carl. I think most people, um, most ag pilots, have had some form of of aerobatic training. Uh, basically, uh, you know what you might call upset training or spin training. Um, but more than more than aerobatic training, it's what we teach or what I teach when I take my uh, my apprentices out and work with them is recognition of what's about to happen to them and, and and what i mean by that is when you're when you're out with a student and you bring it up to a stall slow it up and you know the airplane shutters and and does what it does and then if you pull hard enough or or get uh, you know uh, push the airplane to the point where it it stalls and breaks you know wing comes over and and uh, you, away you go and you make the recovery in our line of work if that happens, it's already too late. We have no room to recover. It takes three to 500 feet to recover from a stall, and uh, we don't have those options. So a lot of the type of work we do is, is uh, or, or type of teaching that we do is, is recognition, recognition of when you're getting close to that, that, uh, that stall or that you know, uh, flaps, whatever, whatever you're running, but it, it's more of a recognition. It's kind of one of the last, for lack of a better term, seat of the pants flying. You have to, you don't have time to look at the, 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 the slip indicator. You don't have time to, to have your head inside the cockpit, looking at gauges and all that kind of stuff. Whether you're approaching a stall, the airplane basically talks to you through your butt. And, you know, you just, you feel that airplane, you hear it, um, even with a helmet on and even with noise, noise canceling headphones, you can, you can hear the airplane respond to you, the, the, the air going over the cockpit, all those kind of things. It's, it's pretty much a seat of the pants type flying. And, uh, so although I, I agree that, that, aerobatic um, uh, training is good and helps you, uh, we're actually one step before that because we want to be able to recognize what's going to happen to the airplane before you get to that point. You know, in in your point, I think this would be great training for the airlines, and we've seen so many accidents where people didn't recognize uh, the situation they were in. If we had more of this type of flying, maybe we, we could reduce some of those accidents. Maybe we should send those people to you for instructing uh, so they can recognize the, the stall before that it happens and, and what it actually is. I think that was an excellent uh, discussion there as far as recognition. I think that's very, very important. And uh, you're right, man. You guys don't have any room to recover from a stall. Well, we do. We we all, you know, we all make mistakes. I mean, people say, oh, yeah, you make one mistake, you're dead. No, that's not the case. I mean, we make mistakes, you know, or, or minor mistakes all the time. But, but um, you know, it's with, with ag flying, it, it, it is so precise that, uh, well, for instance, I guess the difference between maybe a a person swimming in a swimming pool and being a uh, a Mark Spitz or whatever the 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 ability to to fine tune what you do is what makes you good at what you are or what you do and uh, so you know our our margins of error are smaller than in many cases most types of aviation and so we learn to operate within those those margins and and once you do it uh, you know, it's it's like typing or anything else. The the more you type, the faster you get. The more you you know, you, the less mistakes you make. Um, all those kind of things. So it, it's 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 a matter of uh, repetition. And I always tell people that that ag flying is, 
you know, a lot of hours of pure boredom with a few moments of sheer terror. Um, it's it's one of those things that our, our job is exciting, uh, but you know, it's it's very satisfying to to pull out of a field and know that you treated that crop correctly and that you know you're you're i guess helping your grow it, it has a tremendous amount of satisfaction in this in this occupation you know you get some incredible satisfaction by actually being able to see what you've done i mean i think yeah. that's awesome and uh, you know if somebody's listening and thinking about this as a career i mean you you know you work as an airline pilot sometimes you never come out of the cockpit and you don't even realize you have passengers in the back if you never leave the cockpit here you're seeing you know the fruits of your labor you know right in front of you one of the things that uh, you know we've been talking here about ag flying uh, there's some people that are listening right now that would love to get into agricultural careers in aviation but they don't necessarily want to fly in the airplane. Are there any other jobs in, in agricultural aviation that they can get involved with, say as a mechanic, et cetera? Oh yeah, there's there's tons of, of occupations that, that that are available to somebody if they're if they're not necessarily leaning towards being an ag pilot, like you said. There's the agricultural, uh, you know, the mechanic that works for an ag operator. Um, there are uh, field uh, people who go out and uh, you know, inspect fields for insect populations and uh, what we call fieldmen uh, that that go out and do a lot of the legwork to tell us what we need to put on the crop to do it safely. Uh, there, there's just I think it's uh, I want to say 40 percent of the population of the world is somehow tied to agriculture, but. What's amazing to me is that there's so many people that that uh, you know have have lost sight of of where their food comes from. They just think it comes from a Walmart or a Safeway or whatever, and people forget that you know it, there's a lot, there's millions of people that are involved in getting that product to the stores. So the, there's an unlimited an unlimited amount of of uh, um, potential for somebody to get a job in, in in something related to agricultural agricultural aviation i mean we use i mean we have uh, office managers field personnel that go out and inspect the fields uh you know there's there's a number of things that uh, uh, people can get involved with without necessarily getting in into uh, ag aviation specifically so it'd be safe to say that you you basically you know you're putting the wheat in our wheaties and uh and that's really important to realize that it starts right there at the source and moves on into the into the chain towards the uh, the grocery store where we pick that up. And you're right, a lot of people actually become somewhat detached from that. But but now you actually become a part of that, and and you're able to to really be able to to make a change in this world in a very positive one by by doing what you do. You know, I'm wondering. Um, now that we are hearing a lot of talk with drones and all, uh, what type of careers and or or other challenges are there having more drones operating in the agricultural world? Well, it's it's funny that you bring that up because uh, right here at our conference we have um, probably at least three or four companies that are displaying their UAVs, UASs, uh, drones. Uh, I know that some of those people don't like to be called drones because they'd rather be referred to as a, a UAS. Uh, but there are a number of companies right here at this convention that are involved in agriculture and agricultural aviation. Um, and, you know, it's we have concerns, and I'll get into those in a second, but with the drones, there's a, a unlimited. I mean, it, it's a, it's a a very it's it's an infant business, and uh, it it's got a ways to go. But there, uh, the potentials for us to utilize drones, for instance, um, uh, when we're doing herbicide work. Of course, obviously, we have to keep that herbicide within the confines of the field because a herbicide, if it goes out of the field, you know, may damage another person's crop or damage you know, a uh, crop in some way. So we, we, it's our job to keep it within the confines of the field. Well, these drones, for instance, you could send a drone out, uh, land it on the edge of the field, and we could get wind readings and that type of thing so that we know when to launch an aircraft for that very specific field. Uh, there's, there's just tremendous potential. 
we do they're using drones for uh with infrared photography to tell whether there's um uh, drought stress or uh, in, uh, insect damage or insect infestations uh, we can use them for that uh, there's you know we, we haven't even hardly scratch the surface of all the things that these drones can do uh, something we call precision agriculture which um, can be hooked up to our GPS systems in the aircraft and uh, once information is loaded into our computer system on the airplane uh, for instance uh, you can have drones they do it by by vehicle now but uh, they drive around a field and they sample hundreds of places in the field and in some areas the field is um, more fertile than others and would require less fertilizer well they can sense all this load it into our aircraft and we can apply uh, the, the computer will tell us when to open the gate when not to open the gate and so we can use less raw material to get the same result because you're not fertilizing an area that uh uh, doesn't need it and so and drones are very capable of doing that kind of work so from that standpoint we've had, we barely even scratched the surface of where uh, what what the capability of these drones are in agriculture now the flip side of that is by this Christmas they're forecasting somewhere between 500 and a million new drones being airborne because of you know kids the capability of of people using these drones just for you know fun purposes well the drones are so stable now they'll take off and land themselves when back when i was a kid you know you had a string model and uh, you made about three turns around the string and then, then you crashed it and that was the end of your that was the end of your christmas present and i don't think there's any probably pilot that's more than about 35 40 years old that's crashed plenty of these things trying to you know try and they basically they're the early form of the drone but um you know nowadays these things are so stable that anybody can fly them your grandmother your you know your 10 year old kid but what are, what is concerning us is that they fly in that below 400 foot range and they can be in our airspace and people because of what we do people naturally like to watch pull over on the road and watch us and photograph us and that type of thing and with that comes a lot of risk to people flying low levels such as uh, EMS helicopters um, powerline patrol ag planes anybody that that operates in those lower lower areas you're going to have a lot of people that don't really understand the risks of what they're doing until you know we have a midair i know the airlines have had numerous um, near misses with people flying drones in areas that they shouldn't and that's that's probably one of our biggest concerns and there's been a lot of uh, um, emphasis on some of our uh, talks here at the convention about the safety of you know who's handling these drones it's not so much the bigger drones that are required to have pilots and all that kind of stuff that really worry us it's the it's the general public having access to something that can do serious damage to us uh, from a standpoint of, of just basic ignorance, they don't understand the risk. Uh, but from a commercial perspective, it's become a very symbiotic relationship where it's enhancing what you're doing. But from the recreational standpoint, there's a big concern as to operating around uh, low-flying aircraft, etc. And uh, by the way, you you folks uh, at the NAAA have an incredible video that I think everybody should watch, and we'll post a link on the uh, on the website about uh, low-flying aircraft. Uh, manned aircraft and UAV operations. But I think that's going to be a concern going forward in every type of operation, like you said. And uh, that is the conversation I think that we're going to have for the next year or so is, you know, what do we do with all these recreational UAVs that are going to be out there? Uh, so we're, I'm glad you folks are, are moving forward with, with that and with that initiative. Well, yeah, it's, like I said, it's, it's an ongoing concern. And, uh, you know, we've had the FAA here. We've had all kinds of uh, different people exhibiting equipment and stuff. It's going to be a learning process for all of us. I think it can be done safely, uh, but it's it's going to take some work to to make sure that we integrate these drones in a safe manner so that, uh, you know, people, like I said, such as us, EMS, uh, that type of thing, um, 
you know, use them responsibly so that uh, everybody can work together on this. Do you see, in your opinion, do you see the UAESs, the, you see the drones growing as far as not just what you're talking about, uh, sensing and, and uh, photography, imaging, et cetera, but also possibly in the application field? Well, they have a number of drones, and there's one here with a, with a spray system on it. And um, uh, it, this one is probably close to a thousand pounds. It's a twin rotor. Basically, uh, it, it looks like a, a full-blown helicopter, just you know, I, I guess shrunk in size, and it's got a, a spray tank on it. And there are some applications where um, those are actually being used in Japan now. Uh, or, or there are drones being used in Japan for, for application in very small fields. But one of the things that, that I, it, it, to answer your question, they are using them. Do I think my job is threatened in the next 10 or 15, 20 years with drones? No, because um, what we do is so unique, and it takes a person in the cockpit uh, to understand uh, wind shifts, wind directions, um, obstacles, things like that, because I don't know that they have too many ways of sensing, you know, a guy wire, um, you know, sticking off a power pole. Uh, a pilot can see that and react to it. I don't know that a drone has that kind of capability. Um, and when you're talking about dispensing uh, agricultural chemicals, you have to be very, very precise. And being at one end of the field, uh, guiding one of these aircraft and not being right in the cockpit. I think uh, I think we're a, we're a number of years away before much of that's going to affect my business as far as aerial application. I think the biggest effect that they're going to have on us is the benefits that they can do to help the pilot uh, do a job safer by understanding what the wind conditions are or, you know, field observations or something. So, uh, you know, we're not worried about too much as far as losing our, our jobs as, as aviators, as uh, at least from the drone standpoint. Well, that's good to hear. I mean, we, we still have that cognitive process in our brains that we, we do, still need people to do things. You know, we, we won't ever, I think, get rid of people, but the, the drones and, and automation will help us and enhance what we're doing. I wonder what the feeling is uh, at the conference about the – the careers in agricultural flying using the UASs. Uh, I'm assuming that the growth is is the opportunities are are incredible. I'm, I'm assuming that. Yes, the, I mean, in fact, there's some aerial applicators that are actually experimenting and using these drones now. Um, a few of them spoke uh, yesterday, as a matter of fact, about you know their use of drones and some of the the strengths and some of the weaknesses that 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 are involved with them. Um, like I said, I think that that the UAS or whatever is a tool for us to use. And uh, it's it's just one more thing that we can do to to uh, make our applications better and more precise than they already are. So, uh, you know, and the thing is, if drone, drone operators and ag pilots, um, they're, they're basically a different kind of mentality that uh, you know one of the reasons that we you know get into this is it's it's one person with a piece of machinery that that you know you're flying you're low level uh, the excitement of doing that the um, I guess th thrill for lack of a better term the thrill of it uh, that's the type of personality that most ag pilots are I think the personality of um, you know drone operators or whatever they may not be motivated by the same types of of things that we are yeah I mean uh, computers if you're if you're into computers and and uh, you know those kind of things uh, then you know the, the drone type of, of work would probably be very fascinating because of the you know the intricacies of how these things operate but I think the personality differences. Most most guys in aviation uh, are into aviation because there's something about pulling the wheels up on an airplane and breaking ground and actually being in flight. That that's a sense that almost all pilots. I, I don't care if you're a 
14-year-old student pilot or if you're a you know, 70, 80-year-old pilot that's just flying for recreation. There's just something about the thrill of, of breaking ground and being actually in the air. And that that's just kind of an internal uh, satisfaction. Yeah, it truly is magical. And, uh, you know, I all the hours that I spend in the air every month, I still think it's magical being able to, to be there amongst the clouds and looking down uh, at the ground. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think we all uh, that fly can agree with that. It's just something that you feel inside that's that's terrific. And, and uh, there's no other career that you get that in, I, I think. Uh, I found this is just, just wonderful. Hey, you know, be, before we, I know you have to get back to the conference and all, but before we let you go, there's a couple things I want to uh, go over as far as this, you know, this wonderful job, that you, and you've painted an incredible picture here. Um, but let's talk a, a little bit more about the practical side of of the family life or, or the personal life of an agricultural pilot. Um, you know, there's, you know, what's, what's the lifestyle? In other words, uh, you said, you mentioned long hours, uh, but that's, I'm assuming not always. And is there, is it seasonal, that type of thing? Yeah. Ag aviation for the most part is very seasonal. Um, like I said, depending on what part of the country you're in is basically how long that is. And in my area, our primary season is maybe, you know, five to six months long that uh, is pretty intense flying. And, uh, you know, we work from sunup. It's it's not uncommon. Of course, our operations in a little bit of the northern latitudes. So it gets light at 4.35 o'clock in the morning, doesn't get dark till 10. And and we, we fly when the weather will allow us to work. Weather, wind is the single most, you know, has the most, the most effect of anything that we do is weather conditions. So you become a, a somewhat of a, a weather forecaster, at least for your local area. And uh, but weather being the single most, you may sit for three days and then the weather clears and you're stacked up and got thousands of acres to do and you fly all day long. Um, the situation of of back in the old days like i said you know our our call us crop dusters well those days are are pretty much gone behind us i mean the idea of uh, goggles and a scarf and stuff uh, that's that's what people i think envision us now and it's really not the case um we're businessmen we are flying multi-million dollar aircraft or at least million dollar aircraft and uh we're doing that with all these onboard computers and all these government regulations of how to deal with these products and all that kind of stuff it's very much a uh, a full-time business but uh you know we even though it's being seasonal in the winter months, for instance, uh, with my family, um, years ago I took a, a contract and I flew during the off season here, and I went to Australia and I flew ag there, and uh, you know probably one of the most wonderful experiences I've ever experienced in my life. And um, uh, you have free time in the off season to travel and do things. You're not doing a nine to five job with, you know, two weeks vacation, paid vacation coming. That's not how it works, but uh, you can, you know, you can kind of during the off season, you can kind of schedule what you want to do. You can travel where you want to go. Uh, hopefully, you're in a job that you can afford to to do those kind of things, or you're paid well enough that you can do those. Uh, but and that that appeals to me from the standpoint that you know I don't have to work all year long and wait for my two weeks vacation. I've got several months a year that if I need to take off and go do something, I can. But the flip side of that is. Um, when the when the flying's on and the season's on, you're basically living in that airplane seven days a week until you get caught up. Well, that's appealing, though. I mean, you're working hard and you're playing hard. And uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. And, and you know, you you mentioned that working hard and playing hard. And I think aerial applicators, uh, as a general rule, pretty much that's how they. That's one of the reasons that they're doing this for a living. Is that you know they get. They get to they're they're hardworking people, but they also play hard when they have time off. 
Well, gosh, I mean, it sounds really cool. I, I you know, honestly, I wish someone had told me about this, uh, and I, I probably would have kind of veered into that direction. Even though I'm right now working for the airlines, uh, that sounds it sounds exciting. It's very rewarding. Uh, but if somebody, what would you tell somebody that, like myself, who doesn't know much and about getting into this career, or you know, what would you tell somebody that's young that's thinking about going into the career, or somebody who's changing careers? What what should they do now? To, to move forward in their research into getting into agricultural flying? Well, there, there's a number of things you can do, but uh, and I don't want this – is, this is not an advertisement, so to speak, for the National Agricultural Aviation Association, but um, the first thing I tell all people who call me, whether they're young or – you know, midlife, whatever they are, uh, I tell them, first thing you need to do is join the NAAA. And the reason for that is, uh, one, it, it gets you immersed in in what's actually happening in our industry. You, you get magazines, you get newsletters, all those kind of things that happen. But it gets you a sense of, of what this industry is about. But one of the things that we give out is a directory of all the aerial applicators that are members of the NAAA. And what that does for a, uh, somebody trying to get in this industry is with every call you make, and I always tell them, you know, because I'm an officer, have been an officer in, in the association, people a lot of times will call those people first. And I always tell them, you know, um, where, where do you want to work? Where, you know, what's your background? And then I'll refer them to somebody in that book and say, well, why don't you give you know, uh, John, a call and, and talk to him a little bit. Well, they'll, they'll call this applicator and, and, uh, you know, he'll take them and talk to them a little bit and they get a little bit of information and then they just keep calling around. And the more they talk to people individually about their operations and, and, uh, you know, I don't know too many ag operators, to be honest with you, that, that if somebody calls and says, Hey, you know, I'm thinking about getting into this, uh, could I come look at your operation? I always welcome uh, these people to come out and see what we do. One, just because public the public perception of what we do sometimes is it can be negative. Uh, you know, we, we're using pesticides and some people are, are anti-pesticide. But it gives us a chance to explain to people really what this industry is about. It's not about, you know, those kind of things. It's about protecting the environment and, and not harming it. And so – you know, you get a chance to, to take somebody and, and and nurture them a little bit. And then if they want to go somewhere else, they get every time that they stop at an ag operation or talk to somebody, they get a little bit more information. And then, it, you know, it's like um, when you first took your first lesson. And, and I can probably relate this to most every pilot, you know, that, that does this professionally. At some point in time, you took that first lesson or the first couple of lessons and, and you know, somewhere in your soul, you realized you were hooked. And, and so that's kind of the next progression is you're obviously, most of these people who are looking for aviation, they're already hooked. They just don't know where they want to go. And, and so then you explain to them what ag aviation is or whatever. And then you, so to speak, you, you set the hook for that individual to say, well, maybe this is really something I'd like to go do. And people will always refer uh, people in this industry that that care about this industry will always refer somebody and try to help them out and but they need to be able to for lack of a better term you know pay their dues whether it be on the ground for a couple of years um, learning the the operation from the ground up or if they've come through from an ag school and they're it's not in a position that they can actually uh, so to speak be ground crew for a couple of years uh, get an operator take them under their wing and uh, get them started in a seat and nurture them and and get them get them to the point where you know they can they can move up up through the industry so there, there's a tremendous amount of opportunity but it's not Gonna, you're not going to walk in a door and magically some guy's going to hire you and say, here's an airplane, go fly it. That's not how that works. But if you do the math and figure out that, you know, probably 60, 70% of our uh, pilots out there are 53 to 55 years old, um, in the next 10 years, there's going to be a huge demand for, for people coming on board to do what I do now. And so in our industry, that's part of the reason for this, this convention is to, to um, get ag operators to realize that 
you know, ones that are established that they need to start mentoring more pilots so that we don't have a, a vacuum of pilots in the next five to 10 years. So there, there is a tremendous amount of opportunity here, but it, it doesn't come without, I mean, you're going to have to work for it. Nobody's going to hand it to you. Yeah, but in that, working for it in that challenge uh, becomes the reward when you actually get to have that seat and, and see the world from that perspective and, and fly with that pre- precision. Uh, Leave, you know, this has been awesome. Uh, just, you know, I can tell you're passionate about your job uh, through through what you've told us here and uh, and what the National Agricultural Aviation Association does is amazing. Uh, as a matter of fact, you're not, it's not an ad, but I always tell people to go to your website. It's definitely not a closed group uh, like I actually described in the beginning. It's, it is an open group. We usually, when you want to find out about ag flying, I know I've had in the past walked up to some folks that are agricultural pilots and boy, uh, they've been very welcoming and have brought me in and said, hey, let me show you what we do here. Very friendly group, and uh, you know, you can hang around and, uh, and uh, talk for hours about what they do, and it's always, always very exciting. Well, Leif, how, uh, if, if you don't mind, if people have questions, if you don't mind, I'll forward them on to you uh, when they write into us, and they can go to feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. Uh, can they also find you on your website there, the NAAA website? Yeah, they can they can uh, find my name or um, you know anybody any of the officers or whatever or their state. If you look, uh, if if you can get on and, and and look at the regional, state, and regional organizations, there most states have a state director, and uh, they know who's who's a good mentor, who's training pilots, who's looking for pilots. Um, yeah, there's just a wealth of knowledge there at that website for the NAAA, and uh, you know. Like I said, most most ag operators, you know, you don't want to go. You don't want to try to call and visit with an ag operator in July. You're likely to, you know, they're likely to tell you, you know, uh, some other time. And they're not being rude. They just their workload's too heavy. But during the off season, you know. Most all aerial applicators will take the time to to visit with somebody that's starting out because hey you know I I did it and uh, if I can mentor somebody and, and and there's a lot of satisfaction you know being a flight instructor getting a student to to be able to solo or to get his pilot's license and it's the same thing if you can if you can help mentor um, a, a person into this business and and get them going it's it's just kind of like you know paying it forward. And I'm glad you said that. You, you truly are paying it forward, and it took the words out of my mouth. And what you're doing right now and speaking with us here today, uh, you know, actually it's been great, Leaf, to have you on for our 100th episode. I've uh, been doing this for a few years, and, uh, you know, we're, we wanted to get back to our grassroots of describing those jobs that people are passionate about. And, and you are. You're one of those people. And it's it's terrific to, to hear that and, and to put the seed into somebody's, in their mind to and make that, that grow into a career. I think that's great what you're doing, and especially what you're doing within AAA. You know, it, it's this website, by the way, and, it, and I, I highly recommend anybody, if you're going to do something, go to our website, click on the National Agricultural Aviation Association, NAAA. It's agaviation.org if you're listening right now. Really neat stuff. If you're in the tech, into the technology, they have some really cool stuff. And one of my favorite towns uh, is uh, College Station, Texas, actually has the Aerial Application uh, Technology Research Unit is over there, and they do some really cool stuff over there. Uh, and uh, so just, just amazing stuff uh, that's going on in ag aviation. I think this right now is one of the most amazing times uh, to get into ag flying and agriculture aviation. And I'd encourage anybody to look at this as a career because, uh, like you said, it's growing. It's going to continue to grow, and uh, the population's growing. There's an, there's an aging a population of ag pilots, uh, but it also has all the different support groups. So if you're looking at a career in agricultural aviation, this is one of the times to get into it. If you love aviation or are passionate about flying, this is the thing to do. Get into agricultural aviation. Well, Leif, I appreciate your coming today and, and, and talking to us. I, we could talk for hours about all the other things that you have on the NAAA website. Uh, but one thing I want to stress is that there is, uh, there's also uh, one of the part of the outreach of your, your program is they have a, 
agri- uh, Agricultural Aviation Scholarship. And there's also an essay contest, um, which for people that aren't necessarily getting into agriculture aviation, and you can find links to that in episode 100 here. Uh, we're going to put the link, to, and that's actually going to be the scholarship of the week. This week is the Agricultural Aviation Scholarship for the Natural National Agricultural Aviation Association. Well, Leif, again, thanks so much for coming, and hopefully we'll, we'll be able to have you on again to talk a little bit more about agricultural aviation. Well, thank you, Carl. I, I, I truly enjoyed it. And uh, like I said, if, if there's people out there that would like some more information, uh, we'll get it to you. And uh, um, I guess happy job hunting, because uh, I, I will tell you, for, for 41 years, I've truly loved what I do. And if you were to walk in this hallway with all these ag pilots, every one of them will tell you they love to fly. They love doing what they do. And there's there's nothing like it if uh, but like I said you, you have to you have to be willing to pay your dues to get here but once you get here um, it, it's a great occupation well we all love what we do here at uh, aviation Careers podcast and, and all the people we've had on are passionate about their jobs uh, and Leaf, you obviously are too uh, if you're looking into a career and you're listening right now in, in agricultural flying please uh, send us an email feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com check out some of the links at the bottom and you know I like I say every time at the end of the podcast do something today to move forward in your career if this is something that you're interested in it's agricultural flying go to the website click on it get the information watch the videos read the, the abundance of information that is on their website if you aren't necessarily uh, thinking about this as a career and you know somebody, tell them to go the NAAA, National Agricultural Aviation Association. They have a great magazine. There's all sorts of information out there. It's truly an educational organization and it advocates for agricultural aviation. Well, folks, I really appreciate your listening today. We'll talk to you next episode. Remember, do something today, do something now to move forward in your career. You have been listening to Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. This aviation podcast is produced by the Valeri Aviation Corporation. Although hosts or guests may receive compensation for products and services discussed in this podcast, compensation never influences our opinion. Before purchasing any product or service, you should always do your own research. Music by Billy Wheeler. All rights reserved.